Day folks, my name is Holger Neubauer, and I'm the preacher of the Church of Christ at Lakeshore in South Haven, Michigan. And today I want to talk to you about 1 Corinthians 15 and the resurrection. And I want to discuss the false teachers that Paul is addressing, identify who they were, and why they were saying what they were saying. Now in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says, and with what body do they come? Now that was asked by some of these false teachers. Now I want us to pay very close attention to the fact that Paul speaks about a question in which there is a plural pronoun and a singular body. And with what body do they come? And Paul is answering the question because someone will say, how are the dead raised up? That is, the dead ones are plural, raised up in a body. Now I suggest to you that is a question which comes from the Judaizers at Corinth. It has been assumed by the commentators that Paul is dealing with Greek and Roman philosophy in 1st Corinthians chapter 15. I suggest to you it's neither Greek nor Roman. The Greeks and the Romans believed that there was no resurrection like in Acts 17 when Paul met the Stoic and the Epicurean philosophers who mocked at Paul when he talked about the resurrection of the dead. But their doctrine also taught that there was no life after death. So when you're dead, you're like a rover, dead all over. Now, that's not the doctrine that Paul is addressing in 1 Corinthians 15. He's not discussing the doctrine that says there's no life after death. Now you remember that was the Sadducees doctrine that we read about in Matthew chapter 22. It's true they didn't believe in a resurrection, but they didn't believe in life after death. So you remember the powerful words of Jesus that refuted their false doctrine in Matthew 22. Jesus quoted from Exodus 3 and verse 6 as God was making himself known to Moses where he said, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. God is not a God of the dead, but of the living. So in some sense, though Abraham was dead, he was still living. Isaac and Jacob were dead, but they were still living in some sense, which refuted the doctrine of the Sadducees. Now, if that was the doctrine that Paul is addressing, why did not Paul use that argument? Were the words of Jesus not strong enough? Was the argument not pithy enough? Jesus eviscerated the doctrine of the Sadducees. The others that heard words, the words of Jesus marveled. And uh, the Pharisees saw that the Sadducees had been answered well. They had to go and huddle themselves to try to come up with an answer. Jesus refuted their false doctrine. So why did not Jesus use that 
or Paul used that argument here in 1 Corinthians 15. Why didn't he just repeat the same words? Because that would not have refuted the false doctrine that these particular false teachers were promoting. They didn't have a problem with believing life after death. That Abraham was still living in some sense. That Isaac was still living in some sense. That Jacob was living in some sense. They didn't have a problem with that. They had a problem with the old covenant world being raised without the law. They didn't have a problem with the Gentiles dying and going to be with the old covenant body of believers. What they had a problem with is that the Jewish body of believers would be raised without the law, saved without the law in any sense of the word, justified by a new covenant and by Christ. The argument that the Jewish false teachers will make, and I'll prove that they are Jewish false teachers by using an overwhelming amount of scriptures about this same subject. Their argument was nationalistic, it was racist, it was filled with pride. Now the Jews have a land, they have a law, they have a temple, but they also have a look they dressed a particular way. They ate a particular way. They looked a particular way. They were darker skinned individuals. So you remember when Joseph and Mary go to Egypt to hide Jesus from Herod. They went, of course, and when they were there hiding and heard that Herod was dead, they returned. But the question is, why did they choose Egypt to hide in? Now, northern Egypt was occupied by the Nubians. All right, the frescoes on the walls of the pyramids and uh, archaeological digs show the Egyptians have a dark skin, a dark complexion. Joseph and Mary would hardly have gone into Egypt <clears throat> To hide Jesus as if they were light, lighter skinned individuals. They weren't. They were darker skinned. And so they go down to Egypt to hide. In Acts chapter 21, Paul was mistaken for an Egyptian. A Roman guard, a Gentile, who saw Paul. He said, are you not that Egyptian? Well, he wasn't an Egyptian, but he looked like an Egyptian. Generally, the Egyptians are darker skinned. Generally, the Hebrews are darker skinned. I'm not saying there aren't any variances of that, but that's generally how the people are identified. Generally, the Jews have beards. They generally look a particular way. They generally eat a particular way. When the Gentiles come in, they're lighter skinned. There's a marked difference to begin with. And so, it is a very radical change for the Jews who are generally darker skin to start to fellowship and to eat with individuals of the Goy or the Gentiles, lighter skinned individuals. And the idea that a Jew who is a Christian could marry a Gentile that's a Christian was foreign to the Jewish mind. 
I believe that is what First Timothy 4 is about, that they are forbidding marriage. And because they have a nationalistic, that is, a marriage to the Gentiles, I don't think they're forbidding all marriage. No Jew would have done that. And he's talking about the context of meats and that idea. It's talking about Jew-Gentile relations. And so we see that the Jews, darker-skinned individuals, they have a particular look, they're going to have long beards, they're going to dress a particular way. Their women are going to be more modest than generally the Gentile world. They're going to have this culture that they're going to want to hold on to. Well, the Gentiles come in. They immediately say, now wait a minute. In Acts 15, they're going to have to circumcise themselves and keep the law. These are the Judaizers. They come out of the Pharisee sect. They believe in resurrection, you remember? But they are denying the Gentiles equal status, right? Equal status. So they have to form a doctrine which says that the law is going to continue, but the resurrection would be passed, the day would arrive, so there would be no real resurrection of the dead ones. Now, you remember in 2 Thessalonians, Paul deals with those who said the day had already arrived. Paul writes to the Thessalonians and he says to them, Be not soon shaken in mind, in spirit, in word, or in letter as by us as the day has arrived. Now, there were letters sent, and they were sent by those who were claiming to be apostles. They are the false apostles of 2 Corinthians 11.13, the ones affecting the church at Corinth. And Paul identifies them in 2 Corinthians 11.22, when he says, Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. They are Jewish false teachers. They are the false apostles. Now in 2 Thessalonians 2.2, 2, they are sending out letters as if they were apostles. That's what Paul says. As if from us. That the day had already arrived. Paul says there has to be a great falling away first so that the man of sin can be revealed. This is when the love of the many would grow cold in Matthew 24.12. And the man of sin is going to be revealed who's sitting in the temple. So Christians believe this is the Pope. That's ridiculous. There was no Pope in 52 AD. He was sitting in the temple at the time that Paul wrote to the second, uh, <coughs> excuse me, his second letter to the Thessalonians. The high priest is sitting in the temple. And he is the 666 man of Revelation 13, 18. And six is a temple number. I wrote a book, The Maranatha, my second book, but at that day and that hour, I catalog how 660, its cognates, all point to the temple. The land tax for the temple was 666 cubits, uh, talents of gold, sorry. Ezekiel said uh, 60 by 60 cubits for that temple, and uh, I believe it's Ezekiel 40. There was 18 cubits 
high was the wall divisible by six, 40 and 20 for the outer chamber, the inner chamber of the temple. That's 60. Priests live in six by six compartments. On and on and on and on you go. All right. Anyone in the first century would have believed that any number associated with six was the temple number. Well, the man in Revelation 13:18 is still the same, the man of sin of 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 4. And the false teachers had said that day had passed. But no, that man has to be exposed. And that, that temple will be destroyed. And the Jewish source of authority was causing the persecution at Thessalonica. Because the Jews troubled the church in Acts 17, verse 8. And they troubled the church because Rome allowed the Jews to persecute their own all through the empire. They allowed that. They were hard people to manage. And the Jewish authorities that I have read, one right here, the history of the Jewish people by Ben, ben Sasson and six Jewish scholars get together, tell us that about five million Jews occupied the diaspora at the time of Christ. And they say that there was no place in the Roman Empire that had not seen and felt the power of the Jews. They were hard people to manage, so they had to placate them. And so as long as their skirmishes started in their own synagogues, they kind of allowed them, at least for a while. And so the sea beast of Revelation chapter 13, that's Rome for sure. But the land beast, that's Judaism. And the sea beast gives its power to the land beast. And the land beast is ruled by the 666 man. That's the Jewish empire. That was the persecuting source that received its power from Rome to persecute. That's why the Jews went to Pilate to crucify Christ. Because the Jews had not been given the power for capital punishment. They had to get the, the authority from the Roman government. So they, went, they go to Pilate. And so there's a man in Thessalonica who's sitting in the temple of God. That's the high priest. Jesus tells the high priest in Matthew 26, 64 that he would see the Son of Man coming at the right hand of power. The high priest rips his garment because Jesus is applying that text to him and to the Jewish authorities. And he's quoting from Daniel chapter 7. And the little horn in Daniel chapter 7 is going to be destroyed. The pompous man of Daniel 7.25. Now who is that? That's the high priest. Jesus applied it to him. That's why the high priest was so upset and ripped the garment, which the law said he couldn't do in Leviticus 21. So the high priest is the focus of what Paul is dealing with at Thessalonica. Alright? He has to be exposed. There has to be a great falling away first. So the day hadn't arrived. But the Judaizers said it did. Why did they say it did? Because they want to preserve the temple and the Jewish authority in the land. And that the Gentiles should circumcise themselves. They should look like Jews, dress like us, eat like us, respect our diet laws, you see. That's what it was all about. It was a nationalistic, racist doctrine. And they wouldn't fathom the idea that Jews who looked like they were would be raised as a body of people one day and have the Gentiles come in without the law and somehow there's an equality with them. That's what they denied. That's why Paul uses 1 Corinthians 15 verse 28 and says, Now when all things are made subject to him, 
and the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him. It was the process. Ephesians 1, uh, 21 and 22, he put all things under his feet. Now that process was completed, that God may be all and in all. And that phrase always means Jew and Gentile inequality. And that's what he means here. It's the time that the law ends. The strength of sin is the law. All right. Now, the false teachers at Corinth, they are the Judaizers. They say there's no resurrection of the dead ones. What body do they come? They're asking the question. See, it is a tremendous thing of consternation for them. The Jews, living all their life as Jews, with a culture, with a heritage, with a law, with a look, with a diet, with marriages, that they would one day be raised as a body of people without the law, in some kind of circumstance without that law operating. That they cannot fathom. That they will not agree to. And that they will persecute Paul over to keep their law, to keep their identity as the Jewish people, to keep their race and their color separated from the Gentiles. It was all about those things. And this was a group of skilled, false teachers that Paul is dealing with. And it's the same group that said, the day has passed already. Now, at Thessalonica, we find, Paul said it was a righteous thing for God to repay with tribulation those that trouble you, who were troubling the Christian Jews. Well, the unconverted Jews were. Acts 17, verse 8. So now, God is going to bring a righteous retribution to repay with tribulation those who tribble you. So he's going to put it back on them, so to speak. He's going to do it with the Roman authorities. That's what he was going to do. And then the man of sin will be exposed during that time. That's the high priest. The great falling away because the persecution is going to be ramped up. It's 52 AD. 18 years later, the temple will fall. And Jesus is coming back in flaming fire. The very language he uses in that Paul uses in first and in, in Second Thessalonians is used by Jeremiah before the temple fell in 586 BC. He would kindle a fire among their gates, burn forever among them. Jeremiah 17.4. Then Jeremiah 17.27. The fire that was kindled would burn their palaces and the fire would not be quenched. But that took place in 586 B.C. Then, in Lamentations chapter 2, 1 through 6, we find God is coming in the cloud with anger against his enemies, against his people. Jeremiah looks back and says that he has been he poured out his fury against Jacob with a flaming fire and that tabernacle of his meeting that was uh, destroyed. Read Lamentations 2, 1 through 6. Jeremiah 17, 1 through 27. And you'll see he's talking about national judgment. Paul is using the same language in 2 Thessalonians. The same language. And the man sitting in the temple of God is the high priest and he was exposed at the coming of the Lord in AD 70 when the Jewish state was brought to an end and the power of the holy people was taken away. Daniel 12, verse 7. All right? Now, so the ones who said that the day had arrived have skin in the game. They deny that the law will ever, law, law will ever end and that the temple will ever come to an end. That the Jewish standing will remain. 
But that was false. But that's the Judaizers' claim. Now in 2 Timothy 2, 17 and 18, Hymenaeus and Philetus say the resurrection is past already. They were Jewish false teachers as well. How do you know? Because Hymenaeus is also mentioned with Alexander in 1 Timothy 1, verse 20. And in that text we find Paul warns Timothy not to give heed to fables, wives' fables, and endless genealogies. Why the genealogies? That's the doctrine of the Judaizers. They want to keep their Jewish heritage alive. They believe there will always be a place to prove that they are the covenant people of God. No, no. Paul said to Timothy, desiring to be teachers of the law, neither affirming what they uh, what what they do not understand, and, and and neither understanding what they affirm. Right? I believe that's First Timothy one seven, by the way. And so they don't understand what they're affirming. They want to be a teacher of the law. They don't understand what they're saying. They don't really uh, understand the things that they are affirming. The law was good if they used it in a lawful way, that is to condemn sin and as a national civil law for the Jews. That's how it should have been used. But it couldn't justify anyone. The Jews are going to follow the law until the temple fell. That's why Paul's participating with animal sacrifices in Acts 21. But the Gentiles are not under the law. And they want to put the Gentiles under the law. But the law couldn't justify them from their sins. They needed the gospel, you see. So that was the consternation between the Jews and the Gentiles in the first century. And so, 1st of the 1 is about Judaizers. Hymenaeus is mentioned in verse 20. In 2 Timothy 2, 17 and 18, we find Hymenaeus mentioned now with Philetus. It's the same Hymenaeus. First Hymenaeus and Alexander at 1 Timothy 1, 20, then Hymenaeus and Philetus in 2 Timothy 2, 17 and 18. It's the same Hymenaeus. He's a Judaizer. And he said the resurrection has passed already. Yes, skin in the game. Alright? At Thessalonica, the day had passed. At Ephesus, the resurrection had already taken place. First of all, let's stop right there. If the day had passed and the physical world remained, the consensus of the church must have been that the day is not going to bring an end to the physical world. And if the resurrection meant the end of the physical world, the consensus of the church didn't believe that, or Paul wouldn't have had to address this matter of those who said that the resurrection was past already. Jesus said the kingdom would not come with observation, and yet it would come with an event. In Luke 17, when he says the kingdom will not come with observation, he proceeded to talk about his second coming. And in Luke 21, when Jesus spoke about his coming in the destruction of Jerusalem, he puts the kingdom in that text. Luke 21:31. when you see these things come to pass, know the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. And those are the days when Jerusalem is compassed with armies. Luke 21 and verse 20. Those are the days of vengeance and all things which are written are fulfilled. Luke 21, 22. The day that they would see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with power and great glory. The same day that the high priest would see and Jesus was cited from Daniel 7, 13, 14 to the high priest in Matthew 26, 64. Bringing an end to the Jewish state. Alright? The Judaizers denied all of that. They denied all of that. 
They said the resurrection is past already. So there must have been some event that they're pointing to. Okay? The day has already arrived. What day did they point to? In Acts 18, in verse 2, we find that Aquila and Priscilla were expelled from Rome by Claudius. That took place in 52 AD, documented by Suetonius, and the Roman historian, and 2 Thessalonians is written in 52 AD. Robinson dates the book in 52 AD, and 1 Thessalonians in 51 AD, the earliest two letters of the New Testament. Alright? Now, Paul is at Thessalonica. He's there earlier in the year before he writes back to them. He can't get back because of the persecution and some security was given by Jason. He just couldn't get back and he said, Saint hinders us, so he has to write a letter right away. He can't get back to Thessalonica. Alright? So, in late, late 51, early 52 AD, there's an expulsion from Rome, Suetonius says, at a disturbance of, of uh, Crestus, Christ. So all the Jews have to leave Rome. That's why Aquila and Priscilla, who are tent makers by trade, are with Paul at Thessalonica in Acts, uh, or at Corinth, I'm sorry. He left uh, Corinth. He, he's at Corinth in Acts 18, verse 2. Sorry, my mistake. Ah, if I make a mistake, I'll make a correction. All right. He just left Thessalonica for for corn, so I apologize. So, Suetonius writes about Claudius expelling the Jews in about 52 AD, and 2 Thessalonians written in 52 AD, and he just left uh, Thessalonica, so it fits like a hand in a glove. Now, when Claudius expels the Jews from Rome, Rome is considered an enemy state, that they're the great enemy and the great persecutor of the Jewish people. Modern interpreters believe that Rome was the persecuting party, the number one persecuting party during the New Testament days. That's not true. The Jews were. Allowed by Rome, yes. But the Jews were the persecuting party. The Judaizers argued that Rome was the focus of the book of Revelation. But it wasn't. Jerusalem is the focus of the Revelation. And the time was at hand. The Judaizers were making the same argument the futurists do. Those who rejected, okay, rejected the imminence of the coming of the Lord in the first century were the Judaizers. Because they believed that the law would remain. Their culture would remain, but no, it all was coming to an end. And Peter said the end of all things was at hand. And if the mockers said all things continue as they were beginning of the creation, since our fathers fell asleep, 2 Peter 3.3. 3. That is, since Abraham and Isaac and Jacob fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. They were willingly ignorant of the flood because the flood was to the goy, to the Gentile. The Jews d denied that that law would ever end, that the law of Moses would ever come to an end. Therefore, the state would remain. Their land would remain. Their power would remain. Their culture would remain. Their people would remain. And if a Gentile died, that's fine for them to go to be with the Jews. But the Jews will never come and be without the law. That is the argument that the Judaizers were making. And so Paul has to go to great lengths 
to demonstrate that the resurrection was attached to the end of the Jewish state. So what does Paul do? In 1 Corinthians 15, 54, Paul says, Then it shall come to pass the saying that death is swallowed up in victory. And when a Jew uses the word death, many times he just means outside of the father's household, separated from his father. When the prodigal came back from his riotous living, he, back, he came back home and the father said, My son who is dead is alive again. They wanted to be in the presence of God. All right? Death is swallowed up in victory. That's old covenant death that separated God from his people. That's the true enemy of God's people. Not physical, biological death. That's nonsense. So, as I said in our last video, Paul is quoting from Isaiah 25 and verse 8. And Paul knows contexts. Don't accuse him of making things up, please. Don't do that. And he's arguing his case against the Judaizers who said that the temple would stand. But no, this text proves that the temple will end. Please notice now, in Isaiah 25 and verse 2, you have made a city a ruin, a fortified city a ruin, a palace of foreigners to be a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. That's the destruction of the city of Jerusalem. Isaiah 25, 2. Verse 12, the fortress of the high fort of your walls you will bring down, lay low, and bring to the ground, down to the dust. That's the destruction of the city of Jerusalem. That's the time where the great trumpet will be blown in Isaiah 27, 13. Remember Isaiah 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, and 29 is all about the same subject. Isaiah 29, the city Ariel, Ariel, where David dwelt, where the feast would come. Where did the feast go? Jerusalem. He's talking about the destruction of the city of Jerusalem in Isaiah 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, and 29. That's what he is. Therefore, by this the iniquity of Jacob is covered. By this is the fruit of all of the taking away of his sin when he makes all the stones of his altars like chalk stones, beaten into dust. Wooden images and incense altars will not stand, and the fortified city will be made a ruin. It's talking about the destruction of the Jewish state, the destruction of the Jewish temple. Every stone would be dismantled, and the end would come to the Jewish state, and the Judaizers denied it, but Paul said it was coming. And they were in the present distress, 1 Corinthians 7, 26. The time was short, that they that have wives as though they had none, the judgment was coming. The time of Jacob's trouble of Jeremiah 36 through 9. Unequal, parallel persecution of Matthew 24. And the end was coming, Jesus said in Matthew 24, 14. This gospel will be preached to all the world as a witness, and the end will come. Not the end of the physical, biological world, but the end of the Jewish world as they knew it. The currency is going to be valueless. Their land will be taken away from them, given to somebody else. The leaders will be destroyed. The covenant body burned up, just like in the Assyrian captivity of Isaiah 10 and verse 18, soul and body consumed. And that's what Jesus has reference to in Matthew 10, 28. And I think I'm getting a little excited. Mm -mm. 1 Corinthians 15 
is about the Judaizers of 2 Corinthians 11.22. The Judaizers are there in 2 Timothy 2.17-18. They are there in 1 Timothy 1.19 and 20. They are there in 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 2. And yet that's all coming to an end. To the Hebrews, he said, whose end is to be burned. Isaiah 6. Excuse me. Hebrews 6 and verse 8. That's the same end of Revelation 2, 25 and 26. Because at the end of the age, the tree of life, they would have access to. Resurrection would take place. Yes. Behind the scenes. Because the kingdom of Luke 21, 31 does not come with observation. They would know that he came through the signs. The spiritual gifts would have come to an end. The confirmation of their coming to the end. And the same end of 1 Corinthians 15, 24 is the same end of 1 Corinthians 1, 6 through 8 where the spiritual gifts are confirmed to the end. That's exactly what he's saying. By this, uh, the testimony of Christ is confirmed in you so that you come behind in no gift waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ who shall confirm you to the end that you might be blameless on the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are spiritual gifts confirmed to the end. They're confirmed for 40, 40 uh, years as I argue from the book of Micah. Micah 7.15 mm. 1 Corinthians 15 is about the structure of the temple. At the structure of the temple, when the last stone of the temple was dismantled, the resurrection took place. The covenant changed. The old covenant body was completely transformed. The law ended. The strength of sin is the law. A way of life had ended. And a new world and the new Jerusalem was now manifest. So that's my lesson for today. We've got some folks uh, just commented. Thank you for commenting. My name is Holger Neubauer. You want to contact me, you can call me at 269-325-4449. Want to message me? That's fine as well. We want you to uh, study the video today. I'm going to do a series of lessons. Lessons on 1 Corinthians 15, and I'm going to prove beyond any shadow of any reasonable doubt that Jesus has reference not to the end of humanity, but the end of the Jewish state. And that took place in AD 70. So praise the Lord, Jesus has returned, and eternal life is granted to the coveted people, and he who lives and believes in me, Jesus said, will never die. And good people, that's good news. You guys have a good day.